Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. An Erio's original. With anti-Asian hate crimes at record numbers, this season of The Margaret Cho, we're examining the historical crimes that laid the groundwork for this recent onslaught of violence. I talk with Asian comedians, authors, podcasters, as well as the organizations and people working to stop Asian hate. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. Welcome to the Margaret Cho Mortal Minorities. Hello. I'm very excited to restart our podcast and we are going in a very important direction where we're going to talk about all of the um, recent attacks on Asian Americans, of course, but also in a historical context, how hate crimes and crimes against Asian Americans and by Asian Americans have formed us as a community. Today, our historic subject is the Chinese massacre of 1871. That was the worst mass lynching in our nation's history. We're also talking about the recent Atlanta shootings. Our guest is Helen Hong. Helen is a comedian and an actor, and she is the host of the trivia podcast, Go Fact Yourself. And she is my friend. So today's guest, Helen Hong, I'm so happy to have you here. And how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Oh, Margaret, it's so draining. It is. It has yeah. been such a draining time because, you know, in our, in our, um, you know, amongst us Asian Americans, like we've been, we've all been saying like, yeah, it's a double pandemic for us. It's the yeah. pandemic of the coronavirus and it's also the epidemic of racism against us. So it's like right. we're dealing with, with what the rest of the country is dealing with and the world. We're dealing with what everyone else in the world is dealing with and also racism. <laughs> so Right. But it's like the, the racism part of it is like, People should know that this did not come from Asian Americans. Like, they, they're not that dumb, are they? I mean, if they no, really No, they are. are the, Margaret, they are. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I don't think they could possibly, I don't think they could really, really think that. I think they're just looking for excuses to lash That's out. true. I think there's a lot of latent racism that this has 
blown open. And so there was already some latent racism, like, ugh, them Chinese or whatever, you know. And then, and then you know, you put a little a bit of added pressure. And, and it's true. Like, everybody's going through it. Like, everybody's ha- everybody has lost income. Unless you're a billionaire, you've had lost income this year. And maybe mm-hmm. you've been displaced. Your housing situation is shaky. Maybe you're you're due on back rent. You know, uh, we're all going through that kind of stuff. You know, we're, we, the kids are at home all day, homeschooling. Like, the stress is piling up. And so you just add a little bit of that squeeze, that little bit of added pressure, and that brings out a lot of the latent racism. And people need, you know, somebody to blame and somebody to lash out to. And um, it's not our go- it's not who I think it should be lashing out to, which is our government, which should be taking care of of us and is not. Right. I mean, it would be the government. It would be anti-maskers. If you have to lash out at somebody, it would probably do you the best good to lash out an anti-masker. Not that I'm condoning violence in any way, but if you have to lash out, (laughs) do it with an (laughs) anti-masker. So you're doing two things. You're taking them off the street. (laughs) You're, you're win, keeping them a, from infecting It's a win-win. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. You're not attacking innocent Asian Americans, especially elderly. I was so, I cried when I saw your dad's um, oh, video you. recounting his experience because he is such a charming man. And I, I really see so much of my family in him. Mm. Your dad handled himself very well in that situation. He didn't want to escalate it. Yeah. And it was really like those things of like, you know, sometimes this kind of stuff is really beneath contempt where you almost it doesn't even justify a response, but it turned violent. Can you can you talk about what happened? Yeah. So um, so this was very recent. You know, people are surprised to hear how recent it was. It was. This is February 4th. He knows the exact date because he has the receipt. He still has the receipt from from the purchases that he made that day at the store. My dad was at a supermarket in Boston where they live and he was returning a cart uh, in the parking lot to the cart corral, and an employee of the store, like an actual employee, like in a uniform, yeah, um, who was in the parking lot collecting, you know, rounding up the carts, uh, started yelling obscenities at him for no reason, like like prompted by nothing. Started screaming obscenities at my dad. My dad says he doesn't he doesn't quite grasp everything that was said because of the language barrier, but I'm sure there were mm-hmm. some racist things that were yelled at him. And then the guy shoved a cart full force at Ugh. my dad from about seven or eight feet. And my dad says, had the cart actually hit him, it would have like dislocated his knee or like broken his hip or something. And as it happened, um, the cart grazed over his left uh, big toe. And when he got home, the toe was black and blue. Um, and he was injured. Like he was injured in a racist physical assault. Yeah. And, you know, my dad didn't escalate it. He he ignored the guy. He didn't say anything. My dad then went into the store. And the reason why he was at the store in the first place is he was making a return to the supermarket. And so he went directly to the service desk. And the guy followed him into the store, saw him going to the service desk, assumed that he was making a complaint about the situation, and continued screaming at him. Oh, my God. Followed him to the service desk and was, like, yelling more shit at him. 
to the point where the lady behind the service desk asked my dad, like, hey, what, what's that about? Like, what's going on? And my dad was like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And that, to me, enraged me because I was like, Dad, you had the perfect opportunity to complain, to make a state, you know, to, to make a report about this guy. And I spoke to my dad afterwards. You know, I, I, I was like, Dad, why didn't you say something or, or report him or do something? And my dad, in all his real empathy and, and kindness for humanity, was like, well, I didn't want the guy to lose his job. Like, it's the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I just was like, oh, it's God. so sad. <laughs> I mean, but it's like it's that kind of kindness is really what these people do not deserve. I mean, what a terrible, what a terrible thing in things like that. I mean, this is probably why our parents are old is because they can take such horrible things and really kind of deal with them internally so it doesn't leave like a lasting, yeah. raging, sort of like emotional scar. That is a really good point. Yeah. My dad just kind of let it roll off his back. And that is yeah. it's definitely a skill that I don't have. I also think there's a generational um, component here, Margaret, which you probably can speak yeah. to as well. Whereas mm-hmm. like that generation, who they're older, they're first generation immigrants so they're they were the first ones to come over as adults and so they have a there's two things going on so there's a cultural portion which is the the in a lot of east asian cultures you're just supposed to suck it up right like you're just Mm -hmm. supposed to like things happen shit happens and you just keep your head down and just keep plowing forward don't make waves don't cause a lot of problems that's a very like east asian cultural trait and then additionally because they're first generation immigrants they feel like well this isn't even my country you know, they still feel that way. My parents definitely feel that way. Like, I'm not really American. This isn't really my country. I came here fleeing whatever I was fleeing from my country. And this country took me in. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to work hard and do my thing. And I'm just thankful that they took me in at all. And there's that sort of attitude. Whereas you and I, you know, and our generation, we were born and raised here. And we're like, fuck that. Like, we're American. Like, I don't have to apologize. I'm sick of apologizing. I'm done with that. I'm not an other. I'm not un-American. We were born and raised here. We went to the same fucking schools. We speak the same language. We have the same, like, cultural heritage, you know, the same cultural background of growing up. And, like, I'm not going to take up, you know, I'm not going to put up with this shit. And if somebody's going to, like, pile shit on me, guess what? You're getting it right the fuck back. That's right. And it's, it's it's really hard, though, because it's like that the, our parents, like, you know, they have experienced so many unimaginable things that they won't even talk about. Yeah. That I, I mean, that I sort of know about, but I don't really because they really kind of shield themselves from that, from that, the, uh, from me hearing about it because I would be so angry. Because right. I'm very, like, protective of them and I get really, really upset. But, you know, they, they experience so much difficulty that, you know, in a sense, like my family's like, well, this is nothing. This is just this happens every few years where people get really angry. And it's it's true. You know, you see the cyclical anti-Asian American, anti-Asian sentiment happen in times of, you know, whether it's war, whether it's financial yeah. insecurity, yeah. whether it's um, sort of like the turning of industries, whatever it is, um, we're generally made to be an outcast. And so I think our families have seen lots of this. 
yeah, over time. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. And I'm hoping, you know, I was I was talking to a, a journalist, an Asian American journalist, recently about this, and he was saying, I think we've finally gotten to the point where even that generation is like, okay, enough. Yeah, like there's only so much I can take. And mm-hmm. if you're going to beat up on 80-year-old people, completely innocent, random strangers on the street, like, we're not going to put up with that. So, thankfully, yes. I, think they, I think the paradigm is shifting, even for that generation, where they're like, okay, we don't deserve to get, you know, first of all, we don't deserve to get murdered in, no. in spas. You know, we're, we don't deserve to get gunned down in our places of work, firstly, first and foremost. But also, we don't deserve to get randomly attacked on the street while we're just no. out living our lives, having done nothing. So this will bring us to our modern subject today, which is the Atlanta shootings. And um, this is something that it really upset me. I'm, I, I, I spent about seven years living in Atlanta, and I know exactly all of these areas that the, you know, these shootings took place. Um, I know the freeway where he was apprehended. Um, Mm. So this happened on uh, March 16th. A series of mass shootings occurred at three spas in the metropolitan area of Atlanta, Georgia. Eight people were killed, six of whom were Asian women, and uh, one other person was wounded. And the suspect, 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long, was taken into custody. I guess that his parents saw him on the surveillance footage. And Mm. they said he's got a tracker on his phone and called it in, which I think is, um, I mean, it's the least you could do. He was on his way to Florida to commit more more murders. Yeah, exactly. So when did you hear about this? I actually heard about it. I was looking at Instagram, and I saw it on Jenny Yang's feed and I was like what did she tell she was so angry and I didn't know what she was talking about Mm, and I had to look it up and I was so I was so shocked yeah yeah I there's uh there's just so much going on and I feel like in one sense this was the logical end result of the Mm -hmm. year of racism that we have put up with Like, obviously, it's going to lead up to, you know, there's only so much kind of, you know, racist dog whistling that officials can do of calling it the China virus, calling it Kung flu, calling it the Wuhan virus. And the virus is from China and China, Mm -hmm. you know, China is responsible for all our the shit that's happening in our lives right now. There's only so much of that that you can say before somebody snaps and goes, well, I'm going to kill some motherfuckers over this. And killed. They did. They killed. Um. Young A.U., uh, Sun Cha Kim, 69, Hyun Jun Grant, 51, Sun Chung Park, 74, Dayu Feng, 44, Sao Chi Tan, 49, uh, Paul Andre Michaels, 54, and Delena Yan, who um, was also just in the spa with her husband. Um, now, the, the, the justification kind of came through the police. Um, who was talking about it, saying he had a real bad day. <laughs> Which I was like, it's like hold laughable. Up. It's laughable in the. It's it's like to laugh to keep from crying. There was a real effort to humanize the murderer. I feel like there always is. I feel like when it's white cops 
arresting white mass murderers, and we've seen this time and time again. Mm-hmm. There is a humanization, like oh, we gotta, we have to find the mode. We have to, we're talking to him, and we we're calming him down, and and the fact that this one sheriff was like he was having a bad day. It was like go fuck yourself all the way off. Go fuck all the way the fuck off. Because like you know what, when we have bad, when the rest of us have ba- bad days, we buy a pint of Ben and Jerry's and an entire family-sized bag of ruffles and we and we put on a fucking Netflix marathon and that's how we deal with a bad day or maybe we have three cocktails or whatever it is that we get through a bad day nobody goes nobody has a bad day quote unquote and then goes and buys a gun by the way that day he bought that day guns. because that, that day. is how easy it is to buy guns in it's the state so of georgia easy. it's, it's so like easy. he's like i'm having a bad day i'm gonna go buy some assault rifles and i'm gonna go shoot up some bitches at these spas and also the other thing that you know they're claiming the, the law enforcement in georgia is claiming is that this is not racist it's it a, race- a racist it's a hate crime it's a hate crime. It's like, why is that in question? If you go kill a group of people who are all the same race, it's a hate crime. I don't know why you could, you know, you don't take their the murderer's word for whether That's it's right. a hate crime or not. You take the murderer's. That's exactly right. And, you know, and I was tweeting about this where I said, I can't believe that you want us to to accept the line that like, no, 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 I'm not racist. My dick might be racist, but I'm not racist. It's but that was that his justification that he had a sex addiction and that he didn't he didn't like the way that Asian women made him feel as if that's enough of a justification to kill women. And, you know, it was said that he was deeply religious and that having the sex addiction was somehow an affront to his religion. What about murder? Even the argument, if you were even to take on face value, okay, this guy had a sex addiction. Okay, well then, between him and the spa, there were probably 15 strip clubs. You know, there were probably uh, like like nightclubs where people, you know, go to hook up. Like there, there are so many other places that you could hit, mm-hmm. you know, that are, that, that could be, uh, the object of someone who has a sex addiction, but he didn't go to those places. He didn't he went go to, to a Asian spas. He went to Asian, exactly, specifically Asian spas, and that's where he hit. And that is absolutely a racist hate crime. I'm sorry. It is so terrifying and so sad. You know, just I saw the sons of um, Hyunjin, the one of the women. She had the two sons. Yeah. In um, Atlanta, and they're just so lovely, and she loved K-pop and dramas, and yeah. talked to them and all the time. Was, and she was a single mom, and she was working hard to support uh, her it's, her kids. And it's, it's just, really it's, it's, so, it's brutal. so brutal. But we will have a link to their GoFundMe. Um, as far as I know, that they 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 had raised when the, when I checked last time, they had raised over two million for the sons and i think that's really nice people have been really generous which is really remarkable and i will say that is something that i think if we were to try to find a silver lining is i feel like 
um, non-Asian people are finally awakening to how serious of a situation this is for our community. Yes. Um, and I'm so, I'm so just touched and, and grateful for the outreach that I've had personally mm-hmm. from, you know, people who are not Asian American friends and, you know, people that I know, acquaintances that are not, not, um, Asian American reach out to me being like, Hey, I'm so sorry this is happening to you and let me know how I can help. And um, and I've been working with this organization called Asian Americans Advancing Justice. They're Mm -hmm. a really great organization. Um, They're a long time uh, like advocacy. They do a lot of. Yes. uh, Yeah. You know. Yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. I I talked about them in another episode. We, We did the Vincent Chin case. Yeah. And they're they were founded from an organization that was around that time. So they're they're very right. important. Yes. And they have been working with um an organization called Hollaback to do online workshops to teach bystanders. They're they're doing bystander intervention training. Oh, that's because great. So many people have reached out to me and to them uh to be like how do I help? Like, if I'm a bystander, like, how can I, how can I help the situation if I witness something? And, yeah. um, and I'm so glad that people are actually, like, taking action because that's what we need. You know, we need people in the field because, you know, to be honest, Margaret, you know, and I know, like, Asian Americans, we only make up, like, 6% of the population in the United States. So if it's mm-hmm. just up to us, like, we can't be all, everywhere. We can't, you know, as much as we want to be out there, like, you know, vigilante groups like patrolling the streets. There's literally just not enough of us. I live in Los Angeles. My parents live in Boston. I'm terrified. Like, I'm thinking all yeah. these things. Like, do I send my mom mace? Do I send my mom a taser? Does she even know how to fucking use a taser? My mom weighs 100 pounds, literally dripping wet. My mom is a size mm-hmm. double zero. I talk about, I joke about this in my act. A size mm-hmm. double zero, Margaret. That's when zero <laughs> is too big for your ass. So you gotta go down to double zero. That's what how small this bitch is. And so like she can't there's no way that she can do defend herself against anybody. Yeah. And so it's it can't be up to them. It has to be a community coming together to protect our people. It's got to be us talking about it. But uh, we're going to take a really quick break here. And when we come back, um, we're going to talk about the Chinese massacre of 1871, which happened um, really close to my house, actually, here. So we will be right back with Helen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, did you know about this particular event? It was in 1871. It was yes. in Chinatown in Los Angeles. And it's uh, actually, it's, if, if I... If I Remember correctly, isn't it actually the biggest mass lynching in the history of the United States? Yes. They call it the Night of Horrors. The sources that I took from mainly were from a book called The Chinatown War, which uh, is uh, the Chinese 
Los Angeles, and the Massacre of 1871. Now, most of the people coming from China to the United States at that time, they were coming for the gold rush, actually. And so a lot of them settled in San Francisco. And when they were not able to uh, make money at finding gold or they were blocked out of certain areas, they quickly figured out how to make money because some of the miners were actually sending their clothes by mail to Hawaii, <gasps> which at that point was called the Sandwich Islands. <laughs> and they, bring, they wouldn't get them back for months. To so get that's cleaned? Why, to get cleaned. To get their clothes washed. Okay. Those filthy prospectors were like finding gold, but you know, also getting very dirty, dirty, dirty drawers. Squiggly lines coming off of my body. Like no, they they (laughs) were they were really really uh, they were not clean. So they were sending their clothes in the mail to not even Hawaii yet, it was the Sandwich Islands. Anyway, they, they had been settling mostly in um, San Francisco. There was quite a big Chinatown there. They were sort of all around the West Coast. Um, and there was a small Chinese community building up in uh, Los Angeles, where uh, where Chinatown is now. It's actually where it is. It's closer to um, Olivera Street is where the first kind of community was. And... Um, there was really some efforts in the very beginning um, where Chinese merchants would spend a good amount of money to get some good storefronts and sell goods, but they just couldn't build a following where they could get non-Chinese people to buy, whether it was tea or silk or any of their products. Like it was just there was so much racism and so much a uh, distrust of what is the other that they yeah. couldn't get it working. They couldn't get that sort of cross-cultural thing happening. Totally. After the initial push towards kind of legitimate business, there was more of a push towards, you know, kind of getting what they could, whether that was gambling houses. Asians do love to gamble. I think it's <laughs> it's something that, that really kind of the Westerners or the people that were not Asians couldn't figure out because they were like, they don't drink. They, <laughs> they're, they're actually a- just gambling. It's our vice. <laughs> it's their vice. It's our vice. So um, there was quite a lot of different kinds of factions. And they had um, guys who were young men who were particularly, like, very good at um, fighting, very good at shooting. Um, and they were called high binders. And they were Chinese. And they were sort of hired by these different kind of factions. They weren't exactly developed crime families. It wasn't mm. so much like that. It was more just they were kind of like these smaller communities that one would side with the other. Some of those like long-held rivalries from different villages in China would mm. be brought over here to some extent. But they would also uh, find ways to um, use the American courts in order to have grievances against each other or settle grievances against each other, there is this like prevailing notion that Asians don't seek uh, legal help or they didn't, they were passive somehow. But actually the early Chinese were very active in getting oh, wow. um, legal representation, going to court, uh, making sure people got arrested because in China at the time, laws were so geared towards upper class that you were always dealt with unfairly. 
So the, uh, most of the people that came over here were lower class and um, lower income people. And so they were like, well, this is a place where law's not going to be just against us. We should just try. And so they were quite often in the courts doing lots of different things, which I think is really interesting. That is interesting. Um, there was also a doctor, uh, a Chinese doctor, who saw a lot of non-Chinese patients because medicine was so terrible. <laughs> Western <laughs> medicine was so bad. Even then, even then. In the, even then, in the, in the 1800s, and never everybody was dying, so they were just like going to this Chinese doctor. Lots of non-Asians, um, particularly right. women, were going to Chinese doctors in Chinatown, which I think is really amazing. I'm like, <laughs> wow, there was a couple even, of Chinese doctors. Even then, they were like, oh, we got to go to Chinese. The Western yeah. medicine is really we got to go to Chinatown. <laughs> do something. Do something about this whatever disease. Legionnaire. I don't know what disease was going around. Legionnaire's disease. <laughs> The 1800s, something, trench mouth, something. There was a lot of different things happening. So um, what led to the events of the night in question in October of 1871, it was October 24th of 1871, and there had been a quite a lot of fighting of high binders between two sort of warring families over a woman, a young woman who a young high binder had decidedly taken from her old husband. She had an older husband who was Chinese, reasonably wealthy, and she was supposedly the young, very beautiful Chinese woman, and a young um, hottie, some, I don't mm. know, some young Chinese Ryan Gosling. No, a, C- a Stephen Yoon, a Stephen Yoon. A Steve- a definitely Stephen Yoon. Or a like, John Cho. And then she probably would have been married to... Um, I guess James Wong is too old. Let's cast it. Um, it would be like a uh, anyway. Some young hottie came and decided he was gonna. He so he took her quickly and ma- they got married real fast. Of course, nobody asks her what this is. You know what she's right. preferring. So the the argument happened over uh, this one woman in particular. There's a lot of differing stories about her or who she was, but they. Sort of in this book, it's sort of they believe that she was actually just a wife and not uh, one of the sex workers. There were quite a few sex workers, mostly because there was such a uh, disparity of men and women. You know, you oftentimes if you came over here, you didn't get to bring your wife over. Some guy would get married and then leave his wife with his family and send Mm. money home. Um, If you had a wife here and you were fairly wealthy, uh, the story was that you would keep your wife under wraps and she would never leave the house. And so she would never interact with anybody. So the proper Chinese mm, woman fun. at the, the times would <laughs> never like leave the time. I know, would never leave the home, which is so sad. But the uh, sex workers were out on the street with big feet. They had, they had not been found. <laughs> be flaunting flaunting, flaunting their, their ass feet. big old size eights coming down <laughs> oh there's some 39s coming down coming our way some wides i mean um, they could have even been six and a halves to be honest margaret and that still would have been like whoa that's flopping those big feet down the street <laughs> and um there is this belief that this woman that they were arguing about that this high binder took away and married, was actually not um, a sex worker of the time. She was actually uh, just uh, somebody who was married to somebody else that he decided to steal. Anyway, this set off a huge war between um, these warring kind of like 
factions in Chinatown, and they were fighting with each other. In one of the shootouts, a beloved inn owner, a bar owner named Robert Thompson, was shot. And he died a little bit later on in the night, but even before he had died, the the rumor that the Chinamen are killing white people spread Mm. all through Los Angeles to um, the real delight of these vigilante groups that had um, been very frustrated at the lack of policing. There was not a lot of police. Anyway, there was an element of Los Angeles that um, was really, like, angry and sort of wanted to look to blame the Chinese. And and so... um, Margaret, this this is so, like, history repeating itself. Like, it I is so history like, repeats. The sentence that you just said is like angry white people looking to blame. Looking to blame know. and it's got out of hand. They ran down to Chinatown, hundreds of people going going down there. And it's like, you know, that, that r- uncontained rage of somebody's got to be blamed, even though they're not even the people to be blamed. That's why I think they've got to know it's not them, but it's just like the, the, the rage has to find a target no matter who it is. The mob ran down to where is Oliveira Street. They grabbed a man named Ah Wing, who was totally unrelated to any of this. And they dragged him out and they had this huge crowd there. And um, so it's, this was, I guess, right by the... Athenius's Episcopal Church. They they dragged Owing out, and they didn't think to bring a chair or a box to actually. You know, when when you're actually being hung, you're mm. on a gallows, so you'll fall through, and the the impact of the fall will actually break your neck. So it's a it's a rather quick death. But they hoisted Owing off of the ground. The rope broke, so then they tried to attach a stronger one to him. And but his body wouldn't hang properly. And so one of his killers actually climbed up the gate and jumped on his shoulders, shattering both of his collarbones. <gasps> um, oh, my God. A man that was outside the store who was not part of the mob heard a man named J.G. Scott, who was part of the mob, say they had already hanged one Chinaman. And uh, the man who was not part of it said, that's not right. And Scott yelled back. You're a damn Chinaman. It was like this thing of like this unnamed anger that was just trying to find victims. And and at this point, Jim Thompson hadn't even died yet. Oh, Robert Thompson. Um, Jim Thompson's an author. Uh, Robert Thompson, they sort of think that the, the fact of his death really had little to do with yeah. what went down. I think that they would have yeah. slaughtered Chinese people even if he had survived. This had nothing to do with any of it. Just wanted to this kill. Is just the excuse or the last or the last straw, right, for for a lot of these people. And it is it's just it's just blatant racism. And the other thing that really upsets me about a lot of the stuff that's happening today with the anti-Asian attacks is that a lot of the perpetrators are actually not white. They're other people of color. And I never, I have never disclosed this before, but the guy that attacked my dad was black. And a lot of these, a lot of these attacks across the country are being conducted by black and Latino people against Asians. Um, And I read this quote 
and I actually posted this quote on my Twitter uh, recently, this thing that Lyndon Johnson said, that if you can convince the lowest white man that he's better than the best colored man, black people feel like they're being abused by the white man. So like they're looking for someone that they can abuse. Or Latinos feel like they're being looked down on by white men. So they're trying to find someone to look down on. And it's us, you know, and which is not to say that it's all obviously like there are so many allies of every race who are have strongly come out against these and spoken up and just been, you know, there have been so many black and Latino allies who have really come to our defense. But sadly, I feel like there hasn't been a lot of spoken about the punching down element of it. Yeah, it's like that thing of that misdirected rage where you're taking white supremacy out of the picture entirely and not realizing this is why this exists is because of White racism. Not That's only, what it's not only white from. racism, but economic injustice, which is part of which yeah. is part of white white supremacy, right? Economic injustice yeah. is is yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 again, like why I say we're not looking, we're not blaming the right people. The right people to blame mm-hmm. are the people in power who are allowing the Bezoses of the world, like Jeff Bezos. How is it possible that a billionaire like doubled his income during the pandemic? How yeah. is it possible yeah. that Zoom saw a six hundred percent profit and they didn't pay a dime in taxes last year? In taxes, and I know it's, it's like so let's crazy. be pissed off at them. They're the ones that we need to be pissed off of, you know. And yet, yeah. if you're if you're a small minded person of any race, if you're a small minded person, you're like you don't see that. You just say, "Well, it's these fucking chinks." <laughs> yeah, it's it's China. Well, it's it's also that idea of the model minority in that it makes it seem like other minorities are not the model to be. And it's that kind of pitting us against each other yeah. where in unity we truly have power. Yeah. And that's what I think is really the most important part of this time yeah. is to encourage unity, which is really it, – and it, it's deeply painful that – these attacks against Asians are coming, especially in the Bay Area, too, in a lot of instances from people who are not white. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like a very it's it's really sad. And wh- where we need to change, we have to do it. The model minority thing has hurt us, has hurt all of us, every person of color so badly. It is such an insidious mm-hmm. Uh, concept that is is an extension of white supremacy, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people of every you know every race feel that like, well, Asians are doing so well. Asians have so much mm-hmm. money. I've heard that. I've heard that in in green rooms at comedy clubs from white colleagues who are like, well, you're, I know. you're Asian, like you're rich. You guys are rich, and I'm like. Okay, tell that to every fucking nail salon <laughs> worker that you've ever encountered. I know. I don't work- understand. You think they would be working in a Chinese food restaurant? Every Chinese food restaurant worker, every nail salon worker, every laundry worker, you think they're fucking millionaires and that's why they're doing those jobs? Get the fuck out of here. It's like that erasure from the working class that for some reason we are not part of, but we are. I mean, that's my family. I mean, we're not. All Crazy Rich Asians, which I love Crazy Rich Asians, and I love Bling Empire, but that's 
an aspirational it's, it's a minority. story that I'm it's, it's a minority. I'm not a part of. Yeah, yeah. It's a very it's definitely a minority. minority of our community. Just like you know, just like rich people are the minority of every community. So yes. um, the the vast majority of Asian Americans are working people. You know, yes. that's why you see them at the, every 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 Asian restaurant and yes. every every laundromat and every convenience store clerk. Like those people are not doing those jobs because, you know, for shits and giggles. Give me a break. They're doing right. their those jobs out of sheer economic necessity. It was really that economic frustration that really caused this group to lash out at the Chinese community. Um, in the end, I think about $40,000 of that time's money was stolen from the victims of lynching. Um, I think it, in total, it seemed that about the numbers vary, but it's this in this book, it says that 15 Chinese uh, people had died by hanging and three more had been shot to death. So like, yeah, 18 people. It's actually, if it's not, if it's not the actual biggest mass lynching in our history, it's one of the biggest mass lynchings in United States history that very few people know about and very few people talk about. You know, lynching is considered, you know, a crime that was that was perpetrated against African Americans, but it's like, no, we've yes. been lynched too. And we're continuing to be in the sense that this mass shooting in Atlanta is absolutely, absolutely 100% a racist hate crime um, perpetrated against a group of people for their yes. race. If this guy in Atlanta is saying Asian women made me feel some kind of way, and that's why I targeted them. I don't know how more black and white it can be that that it is, is such a racist hate crime. Hate crime. And it, it's so just I it's just, so real. And I mean, it's like to be able to go back in history and look at this. It's really pretty incredible. Um, a lot of the people in the Chinatown, a lot of the Chinese people actually ended up leaving L.A. Most of those I'm reading now from the book, most of who stayed in town re remained concealed in private houses. About 60 sought sanctuary in a guy's residence on Main Street. So that's quite amazing. Some made it to homes at part of the city. Actually, one of the, the judge who was very active in overseeing a lot of the cases, the Chinese immigrants, um, and he would really help, help them a lot in legal affairs, William H. Gray, who was the justice of the peace in Los Angeles, he hid several Chinese men and women in his cellar. And for years afterward, he would receive anonymous mm. gifts of Chinese silk, porcelain and tea in appreciation, which I think is really, it's really incredible. After the riot was over, bodies of 14 Chinese were still suspended in darkness from the Western Gate. So the 14 victims were there, stark staring corpses, ghastly in the moonlight. And the first lynching victim, Ah Wing, um, he had been cut down shortly after he was hanged. For a long time afterwards in Los Angeles, they would call it Black Tuesday. I, I would love to see a movie of this, you know, because it's something that, you know, we should be doing. We should be making these movies and talk, talking about these stories because... Produce it, Margaret. Produce yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You and I could be the um, <laughs> ladies walking with our big feet. 
are down big the street. Ass, my big ass five and a halfs clomping down. My giant, my seven and a quarter wide. <laughs> well, Helen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for this grim walk down memory lane. Where can people find you and your podcasts and everything? Uh, please, please, please check out my father and I's YouTube channel. It is called Old Korean Dad Stories and sometimes mom and sometimes mom. Old Korean Dad Stories on YouTube. Uh, and then on my Twitter and Instagram are at Funny Helen Hong. Funny Helen Hong because some other bitch named Helen Hong has all my handles. So I'm the funny one. You are. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you so much, Margaret. You're a hero of mine, and I'm so glad that you're speaking out about this stuff and, and like, talking about, the, you know, the history of, of yeah. our, you know, racist past. There's so much. Because it is true. It's like we're, like, on a hamster wheel of racism. Like It's, I can't a, it's believe, so like, true, yeah. The same shit that was happening in the 1800s is happening now. Like, it's bonkers. It is so bonkers. So I'm glad that I'm glad we're doing this and I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you. This week we are highlighting the Atlanta area spa shooting fundraisers that are helping to support the victims' families as well as the survivors. We will link to the GoFundMe page in our show notes. If you want to support our show, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcast and spread the word. Reach out to me on Twitter with your thoughts at Margaret Cho, or at Instagram, at Margaret underscore Cho. The Margaret Cho is produced by the Erios Network. Erios. Powered by ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.